You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 574 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and joining me for the first time in uh, a little bit of time, a frequent guest of the podcast, the great Tower Jones. What's up, man? What's going on, Brad? Good to be back. Um, you know, we just started up a new pod on uh, ATM 29, uh, I want to say two days ago. And so uh, I know I'm, I'm, already, I'm already shilling for, for my other pod. For my other pod but we had been on a bit of a hiatus so uh check that out uh after you of course after you uh listen to lockdown with me and brad tonight yeah do that for sure i listened to that podcast you guys uh, it was good to hear you guys again and uh lots going on it's you know it's actually today there's five weeks between now and the draft exactly yeah i know we both recorded separate pods on tuesday night in the aftermath of the results so uh, we've talked about this stuff a little bit separately but let's talk about it a little bit now since that's the by far the headline news of the week was the lottery results the hawks game number eight and number 10 overall one of those not a great result the other one a pretty good result um you know, it wasn't a great night in my opinion, but it wasn't a complete and utter disaster the way that it could have been. Like if they had only gotten eight and not gotten the other pick, that would have hurt a little bit. But where were you at on Tuesday night? Did it was it something where you were uh, panicking, panicking in the streets? A lot of Hawks fans were not enjoying themselves on Tuesday night with good reason, I suppose. But uh, how, uh, how how hard did you take the news that the Hawks would be picking eight and ten on uh, June twentieth? Well, you know what? I, I will say this: it probably did help that I went on complete. Uh, lockdown mode from 8.30 to 9 because I didn't want to deal with any type of drama. So I basically turned my phone off and uh, went to the gym. So then when I turned it back on at 9 o'clock, saw the results, you know, I was like, oh, we got both picks, thank God. And then I was like, but I mean, the first thing I thought was, man, the Pelicans <laughs> got another uh, Uber star. Uh, that that kind of stung, you know. Not getting Zion was super disappointing, but then seeing that we still got the mass pick or the Hawks got the mass pick was uh, great to see because like, like, you know, I, you've said this multiple times. Or I've said this when I've been on here or um, on ATL and 29, that this draft draft is pr- pretty flat and the Hawks are going to get some good basketball players at eight and 10 or good talents, not necessarily good basketball players. I think there's a, there's a healthy distinction between those two at the <laughs> moment, but uh, yeah, I, it, it's a it's a fi- it's a fine outcome for the Hawks. Like, and you know what really sold me on it is this might be a big of a tangent, but Omari Spellman's development during the season, from where he started in summer league to where he ended before he uh, ultimately, you know, lost the rest of the season due to his ankle ankle injury. Like he made real gains, and the Hawks stuck with him. You know, he's only he was only like Amari Spellman was only thirty thirtieth pick in the draft in 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 last year's draft. Uh, they got he he played every game he physically could, um, whether it helped or hurt the team. And you know, there was a stretch where he was objectively out of shape, like and he looked terrible. But the Hawks still stuck with him. They sent him to the G League. He lost the weight. He came back, and you know, he played some solid basketball for like for about uh, uh, give or take three weeks or to a month. And 
you know, just the Hawks' willingness to go that far for the 30th pick tells me that whoever they draft the 8 or 10, they're, they're going to do everything they can so that that player could succeed and be, be a success in, in, in this league. And, you know, seeing Spelma's growth from where he was at Summer League to, to the end of the season was really kind of like, hey, the Hawks are going to do what, what they can for whoever they pick. And they're going to get somebody super talented in the lot, in, with these two lottery draft picks. Yeah, I mean, this is not a good class, in my opinion, um, which, you know, can be taken a number of different ways. I do think um, on the on the bright side, it's kind of flat. So the difference between, between, you know, four and five and eight and ten in this draft may not be super big. I mean, it's not the guys that we talked about a ton, probably. Like, it's probably not going to be Jarrett Culver and DeAndre Hunter. It's not impossible that one of those guys would fall, but it probably won't be those guys. But the gap, you know, talent-wise between the guys that are, you know, that you see at four, five, and six on mock draft boards versus eight, nine, and ten is not huge. And to your point about player development, Lloyd Pierce and his staff uh, know what they're doing here. That's why Lloyd Pierce was hired. Uh, he's, you know, he has a lot of he has a lot of strengths to be sure. But one of the big reasons why he got that job was because of his player development chops and the fact that they know how to handle young guys and they know how to get the most the most out of guys. And that's going to be a theme moving forward. It may not always work. Obviously, there's a chance that one of the one of the picks doesn't go great just because that's what happens. I think Hawks fans are almost spoiled a little bit right now because they've, they've they've been nailing draft picks for two straight years. They've nailed three picks in a row, essentially. And, you know, maybe Travis Slank's just awesome at this. That, that's definitely in play. But uh, we'll see how he, how, how, we, how, we, how he keeps going moving forward. But, you know, getting, getting the most out of the guys is important and getting just what you can because it's not always going to be a talent, you know, home run. Like Amari Spellman at 30 might go fine. Like all you need him to be is a rotation player at thirty, and that's a, that's a, that's a uh, definite success. Um, and same could be said for picks in the picks in this and the in this range in this draft. Honestly, is if you get a starter out of one of these two spots, you've probably done pretty well um, because of the way that this draft is being described. So yeah, getting the getting getting talent in these guy uh, with these uh, assistant coaches and this and this head coaching regime is a good place to put it. You know, I, even nationally, I've heard people, I, th- I think you probably have too, talk about guys that have talent like Cam Reddish and like, where's the best spot for Cam Reddish to possibly go? And it's like, Atlanta. They had these. They had this great setup for him and they have the way to maximize his talents. And that's been a compliment that the Hawks have been getting for a while now and it's uh, continued through two regimes of player development, which has to be uh, pretty encouraging, honestly. Yeah, and you know, and, and that just speaks to it speaks all this ties back for better or worse. The entire Hawks, uh, every Hawks discussion has to start and end with the trade of Trey Young for, uh, you know, the moving down and getting the lottery pick. And to me, we, if we can go back a bit, like the Hawks falling to eight is mitigated by the fact that they got the 10th pick in the draft as well. Uh, so like, you know, they get two shots at, really needing to get just some more bodies because they, as I've said before on, on multiple pods, like the Hawks have their foundation. They're not one of these teams that are, that are straggling trying to figure out who's going to be our offensive fulcrum. The Hawks already got that in Trey Young. Then they already have John Collins, uh, you know, a guy who's going to a walk in 20 and 10. Uh, so like the Hawks already have that covered. Now they just need guys to fill roles or who could potentially even go further than just being simple role players. But for now, they just need more bodies, more talent. And, you know, the Hawks are in a pretty good situation for that. 
Yeah, they are. Uh, and again, like not the sexiest draft in the world. And I'm on record as saying, you know, I wouldn't be trying to move up in this draft in general, except for to number one overall, which is basically impossible from where the Hawks are and really impossible overall right now with Zion at the top, I think, in the consensus. So I'd be looking to uh, just kind of stay put and make make picks. I wouldn't be trying to package up necessarily, but we'll talk more about that as we get going here. Um, You know, player-wise in this class at 8 and 10, it's tough. You know, the number one question that I've been getting since Tuesday is, you know, who are the Hawks going to be targeting now? Because people, I think people, you know, between what we've said and what has been written nationally in mock draft stuff, or we're kind of focused on, you know, Culver and Hunter and maybe, obviously, obviously Zion and maybe Barrett, based on the way the ping-pong balls bounced, because eight was not a likely outcome. And eight feels kind of low. Um, at the same time, you know, are there? Do you ha- do you already have your working list of players that you're looking at for eight and ten? Because that's something I I keep getting asked is like who's on the list, and I'm like, well, you know, we know the Hawks like Cam Reddish. I can confirm that. Um, but aside from that, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag. There's a lot of different kinds of players, a lot of bigs that are projected in that range, which I don't love because I don't I don't love taking a big in the top ten in today's NBA landscape. And there's a few wings. You know, your guy Nas Little is still around, I think, and projected in that range. So do do you have your working list already of like five, six, seven guys that you're looking at more closely now than you were a couple of days ago? Yeah, uh, it includes, of course, Nas Little and Cam Reddish. Uh, there's a Seiko Dumbuya and the Jackson Hayes. Those probably are the the big four at the moment. But, you know, this draft is pretty interesting because this is why this is why I'm actually kind of relieved, almost in a sense, because at five, like they were going to have to draft somebody like Cover or Hunter at that spot. And to me, like they're Cover and Hunter are good and they're talented, but they're not you know, top five caliber. And neither is Cam Reddish or Nas Little or, you know, really any any of these guys outside of really the top two in this draft. That's a really so important now that, point, by the way. Like, I so, think you, <laughs> keep, keep, keep talking, but that's a hugely important point because people often just see where guys get drafted and think it's all the same from year to year. And the number four or five pick in this class is not a, a typical four or five pick in terms of talent. It's just That's just the reality. Yeah, so like when we say it's flat, I mean it's flat. Like there's like to me on a pure ceiling, talent level, floor, all that good stuff. You know, that there's really not that much separating uh Culver from Nazi or Little. Um if you want if you want to go to a scale, right? Uh whereas if I'm drafting Cove Hunter at 5, I'm kind of angry because you know, DeAndre Hunter's 21 years old. We've gone back and forth about his upside. But at eight, yeah, sign me up. Yeah. DeAndre Hunter's a good basketball player. <laughs> He's big, two-way wing, has shown a a reliable jump shot. Uh, yeah, sign me up for that. Uh, I, I got no problems with Hunter at eight. And that, that really just kind of – it kind of eases my – like, I imagine eases Schlenk's decision-making where it's like, I'm just going to draft whoever – whoever the best wing is available at eight. And then if there's another one available at 10, I'm going to draft that player too. And, you know, move on with my life because, uh, <laughs> while, while we're doing this pod, interesting enough, before we came on, uh, Lloyd Pierce gave an interview at the combine and they talked about players they're looking for. I found it really interesting. He listed a lot of guys at the, I mean, I found it interesting. The fact that he, he just basically said, I, I we want some wings. Uh, we want 
wings, whether it be at a two, the three, or even at the you know the four, the hybrid types. I never, I didn't hear a single mention of a big or a point guard. So like, while Jackson Hayes is super talented, if we want to be honest with ourselves, I you could make the argument that you could get somebody of Jackson Hayes's caliber, you know, in the back end of the first round. Um, what is my, my favorite way to describe this is what is the big difference between Jackson Hayes and Daniel Gafford? Like there and, is one. Yeah. I mean, but, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather have Hayes. Don't, don't get me wrong, but is there a 25 spot difference? Is there a 30 spot no, difference between those guys? No, no. not for me. It, it's a pure value play on that front. And to me, if the Hawks do draft Hayes on one hand, I won't be mad at it because it'd be a relatively safe pick. You know, you're getting a good basketball player. Yeah, if be- you're going to draft Hayes at 10, you know, uh, unlike Gafford and the other bigs in this class, you know, out the box, he's gonna he's gonna be really good, especially in the Hawks systems, especially playing with Trey Young. Uh, like to me personally, it'll come down to if the Hawks do work Jackson Hayes out, they're gonna like the only thing I try to work out is see if he can make a three point shot, like if his jumper even looks functional. Oh, and they want everybody does, to be able to do that, so they're gonna be looking at everybody's exactly. tools. They they know that, for yeah. Sure. And they, and they want to see, okay, three years from now, can he can he mm-hmm. be a threat like Alex Lynn is now? Because if he can be, then then we got something entirely different. Because right now, you know, to me, the Hawks have no need at center. I know everybody's. I know everybody thinks we've talked about this ad nauseum. The Hawks don't really need a center. They don't need more bigs. The big man, the bigs on the Hawks roster right now are actually pretty good. Like they, they've got it. Uh, pre- uh, covered pretty nicely, and also I want to add an aside. Something Lloyd Pierce also said is he mentioned that Collins was a five. Um, I found that pretty interesting, considering how strident they've been at at you know John Collins as a four. Or John Collins as a four. In this interview, he he mentioned that Collins is a five that can make threes. Yeah, he's and, not you know, really said runner. that. Like Lloyd's been, um, you know, they're willing to play up the four. Obviously, he played the four almost. No, no, I mean he, the vast majority of the time this year, but I think Lloyd is kind of on record as not—he's not been the one pushing the Collins is a pure four thing, and I think Travis Shank's been the same way. Like they're not putting him in either box, but uh, I have not heard yeah, the interview yeah. yet. Just candidly, I have not heard it yet, so I'm I'm, I'm reacting in live time without hearing the interview because it was literally right, right, right as we were starting to record. Um, but. I'm not as surprised as some people will be about that. Of course, it probably helps that I've been the one saying for a long time that I think he's a five. But uh, he can do both, which is, at the end of the day, he can do both, which is a better outcome. Like, I'm kind of anti the we have to decide what he is thing. He's not really either one perfectly. Like, offensively, he's playing more of a five role. Um, Defensively, he's been playing more of a four role. And he can do both, and it's really nice to have a good basketball player. I mean, he's ultimately he's a tweener, but he speaks to that that being a tweener is not a bad thing. You know, he's a four point five positionless basketball, uh, Tyler, and it's not a bad thing because he's super talented, and that's something you know. Schlenk is sh- like to me, Schlenk is not afraid to make the 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 pick on the talent on the raw talent, like, and that's why I go back to, um, you know, Nazi or Little, even you know the production and Cam Reddish for you know better or worse both of those guys the production in college wasn't there. You could argue that Cam Reddish was probably uh, he was better in the EYBL, uh, which is you know AAU uh, basketball during high school. He was a much better pro- he was a much better prospect than Nas Little was until 
you know, whatever. Anyway, so like Cam Rush has a higher pedigree than Nas Little, um, but he was super like Cam Rush was bad, bad at Duke, and Nas Nasir Little, he he was a non non entity for a very good North Carolina team. I but, do think you know, I do think that you know Reddish was as you said at, was pretty actively bad. I wouldn't say that Little was bad. I think Little was just more anonymous, which is not great agreed, either. Agreed. But I think that's a distinction. Like I think they're being put in the same box together as these two guys who struggled so badly in college. And I think Reddish actually did struggle. I think Little was in a weird situation, which we, which I know you and I have, have discussed. But it's not quite the same thing. They just happen to be playing the same position and they're similar size and all that fun stuff. But I do think that you know one was bad and the other one was just kind of out there. And I don't know. I don't yeah. even know which one was better or worse necessarily, but it's just. One of those I will things. say that I will say this about Cam Reddish. His defense did show up, play up. Well, he's um, long, man. I think he, did he measure seven one wingspan? I think he did. It was something. Uh, uh, both of them. Both of them did. They're yeah. they're both long. Long. They're both. Uh, you know, they've they've got the measurements that every you know you team want. wants in yeah. their wings. Uh, and so, and and that goes to the value play, right? Why you know. People projecting Jackson Hayes. Like if if there's a situation where Cambridge and Nas they can have both Cambridge and Nas Little at eight and ten, I'd be shocked if they don't do that. Like, but to me, uh, just you know, if they take Jackson Hayes instead, because here's another way to think about this: Torian Prince, as frustrating as he is, is without question one of the best catch and shoot three point shooters in the NBA today. Like. There's no debate about this. He is a great spot-up shooter. And he's 6'8". He's 220. He has the wingspan. He has shown instances where he can play, you know, quality defense. If the Hawks wanted to trade Torian Prince for a first-round draft pick, they could. Like, even with with restricted free agency coming up, I think they they could, even with the fact that he was really bad last season, even though he did have some positive stretches toward the end. Overall, we would all agree that Torian Prince was a disappointment last season due to his defense. Um, the same can't be said for Dwayne Dedman. And Dwayne Dedman is a much better basketball player. You know, even if Dwayne Dedman wasn't a free agent, if, if the Hawks had signed him, like the Hawks had signed him to a two-year contract, one of the best contracts in basketball considering his production level, and the Hawks couldn't get anything for him at, at the trade deadline. Yep. Because nobody's trading for big men. And you should you be and, get, and through that prism, you should you shouldn't be drafting him in the top ten either. <laughs> exactly, that's just one of those exactly things. because it, it's just unless they're you special. can find you can always find Dwayne another Dwayne Dedman in the free agent market. The Hawks might develop one in Alex Lynn. He's not as good or as a shooter or as a defender, uh, but you know Alex Lynn was pretty good last season overall for a backup center. Alex Lynn um, was like probably this, a top thirty center in the league. Uh, the Sixers desperately needed someone of Alex Lynn's caliber uh, oh, during God. this playoff run. If they had yeah. Alex Lynn, maybe they're in the maybe they're in the conference finals. I think they are. And <laughs> you you might be right. Um, the Raptors could have used them. You know, the, the, Alex Lynn is a good basketball player. The Hawks have one of those guys. Uh, they don't need to draft the Jackson Hayes when. You know, he has he's shown no instances that he can shoot, even though he, he was solid from the free throw line. You know, he just the. You know, what's his upside? Andre Drummond. You know, Andre Drummond's a good basketball player, but the I Pistons. Be, yeah. It might be, I, I mean, he, I'm, 
it's interesting. He might it might be like better Clint Capella. Yeah, Clint Capella is even better. And Clint Capella is pretty good. Yeah, I mean that wouldn't be listen if he turns into that, it's not a bad draft pick at all. But it's a situation where I think people can't understand. I've said this before. People are having a hard time understanding this. That I I have Jackson Hayes as my number one pure big man in this in this draft. Like take Zion off the table, pure center. I think Jackson Hayes is the best player in this draft. Is a pure center prospect. I would I still and I still wouldn't take him at number ten overall. And that kind of breaks people's brains. But it's what you were just saying. It's it's positional value. It's the way the league is going. And, you know, also having Collins, you know, those guys could play together, certainly, but it isn't a perfect fit. And for me, I'm just, I, I'm just leaning wing. Like, you know, I, I totally get that people are a little bit lower on Nas Little now than they were, but to your I mean, point that's a second ago, like, like, like Brad, Brad, Nas Little's already, we're already seeing clips of him hitting open threes in the open yeah. gym. And that's, no, he's, like, he's going to he's, he's, he's gonna be in the top 10. Like, it, yeah, I, I, I tend to on. agree with you. And I mean, the whole thing is, even if it's not Nas Little, if Nas Little went like number nine and he wasn't available, like if you take Cam Reddish, for instance, at number eight and Nas goes number nine, however you want to break this down, you know, they're not guys that I'm absolutely in love with aside from those two that we, that we were just discussing that are commonly in the Hawks range. Like, I'm not a huge Seku fan. You know, the other guys are big men. I do like Brandon Clark, but he had this he had this terrible wingspan measurement and he's a weird prospect. I totally get all of this stuff. There isn't a perfect guy if Little's not there, but. If you can give me two potentially impactful two-way wings, and you just t- you just take them both, and I'm totally fine with that. I, I know there'll be a, a segment of the fan base that won't like it because they just see we already have Kevin Herter and Torian Prince. I'm like, yep, that's true, but uh, you can't have too many of those guys, and you just take the best player available. And for me, the best prospects of, uh, in in today's NBA are wings and forwards in general. Like especially if you when, when you already have Trey Young, which they do. You know, Kobe White would have been interesting if they didn't have Trey Young, but they do. They have Trey Young. Trey Young. The only time, the only position you, that you cannot draft is point guard because you already have your point guard, and everybody else throw them in the hopper and just give me guys who can play both ways and be impactful in different ways. And that means, um, in general, it's easier to do that on, on the wing than it is as a big man because most, if you're a truly special big man prospect, then you go in the top five. Like that's the guys who are available at nine, eight, eight and ten aren't special. Like they're good prospects. Hayes and maybe Goja Batadze, and um, there there are guys who are interesting prospects who I think will probably be, be good players. But if you're not special, I'd rather wait and take Daniel Gafford at thirty five. Like that's not, I mean that, that's a very specific example. But like Bruno Fernando or somebody like that, you know, early in the second or round Mo, or Mo Brown. Like yeah, who, I mean, there's a million of these guys. Know. That's the thing. There's there's so many of these players that. Yeah, they're not quite as good as Jackson Hayes, but 30 picks later, I'd rather just do that. It doesn't make sense to me. Agreed. And uh, just to, to belabor the point, like this season, the Hawks really need somebody other than Torian Prince at the three, period. Like they, they just need they need to get bigger and more athletic at the wing. Um, you know, time and time again, we saw Ken Baysmore and DeAndre Brimbury's limitations on the defensive end in particular, just due to their lack of size and length. And the Hawks, Hawks need – you, especially considering that Trey Young is the focal point of this team. Trey Young is all, probably always going to be a liability on defense just due to his size. Like he's just not big, he's not strong, and he's not – you know, he doesn't have the wingspan. So to compensate for that, the Hawks have to have athletic guys everybody everywhere else on the floor. 
in order to, to in order to have a quality defense. Guys who can switch, guys who can you know guard bigs, box out bigs, and grab a rebound and go, and you know just play a versatile brand of basketball. Where at the moment the Hawks are kind of stuck, where you know they they have to have Trey Young on the point guard because at the end of the at the end of the day, Kevin Herter's not quick enough, and Torian Prince isn't quick enough to guard point guards, but. If you got if you got more length, maybe you can switch. Maybe you can do some other things, more creative things, in order to compensate for that weakness that the Hawks currently have. And so, like to me, that's why I'm like I'm all in on you know if Cam Reddish is there, he'd definitely draft him because all of all of Cam Reddish's flaws. It is impressive that he got up as many threes as he did. Um, all things considered, like his his jumper does look good coming out of his hands. And then on defense, I, I thought on defense, on his perimeter defense was fantastic. I, I, I like that's why I was always high on him until like really late in the season where he just completely fell off a cliff offensively. But uh, his defense, I think his defense will play up. I think he has a chance to guard point guards uh, just due to his quickness and his how he uses his hands. Um, and so, like you know, I. He kind of like another comparison. I, I know I compared him to Paul George. I think that's his utmost ceiling. But another com- comparison is Robert Covington. Just you know, he, Robert Covington isn't a superstar or anything, but he's a good basketball player. And I think in the Hawks system, Cam Reddish could really excel, considering that Trey Young would will kind of take the burden will take the burden off whoever they draft, just due to the fact that the ball's always going to be on Trey Young's hand on offense, and he's going to put you in it in a place to. To succeed, and you know, I think Cam Rush would do really well in Atlanta. I think Nas Little would do really well in Atlanta, just due to his raw athleticism, his ability to put the ball on the floor, um, and all that good stuff that we've talked about a billion times on this podcast. But like that, the Hawks even have that that we have the that we're having this discussion that the Hawks could get Cam Reddish and Nas Little in a draft. Like if we said that before this season started, before the college basketball season started, we'd say the Hawks had a haul. Um, oh, yeah. And so and so like I'm not going to let like if if I'm I'm as a fan of the Hawks, I'm trying to tell you this. I would not let 30 basketball games in college dictate how you should feel if the, if that's the outcome that the Hawks have. Um, you know, th- those those two guys are super talented and they got the size and length and athleticism that the Hawks need at that, that position. And they would you know, they were also like, you know. Ultimately, I, I doubt they get both. They're probably only going to get have the chance to draft one of those guys. But even if they get one, just so that Torian Prince could have some competition at his spot for <laughs> two years now, for two years, Torian Prince has been on. I want to like like to call the Jeff Teague Steves, where Jeff Teague at the end of the day knew that his backup was garbage and that he could do whatever he wanted defensively because he knew, like, if he wasn't on the floor, the Hawks' offense would go to poop. And it's kind of similar with Torian Prince in the sense that because he's the only wing that can knock down threes outside of Kevin Herter, only big wing that can knock down threes, he knows he's he's always going to get the 30 minutes. doesn't matter how bad his effort is on the defensive end. And so now, now if you draft some competition, especially coming into his contract year, like Torian's going to have to bring it. And we've seen that Torian can play good defense. He can do it. That's what makes him so frustrating to watch as a basketball player is that he can be a good defender, you know, but if, if his, his playing time is dictated on his effort level on that end uh, and, you know, he's got somebody, 
six, seven years younger than him, you know, chomping at the bit for his minutes because he wants to be in that starting three spot that he, that Torian Prince has manned for the last two years. Like maybe that lights a fire on Torian. We get the best, we get the best of Torian on both ends of the floor. Something we haven't seen in his Hawks tenure. So, like to me, I, I think it's imperative that the Hawks come away with one of the one uh, quality wing of that caliber, whether it be whether it be um, Reddish, Little, Hunter, or Culver. Even though I doubt. I highly doubt Culver's going to drop that far, but I yeah. think there's there there are scenarios where those three guys drop uh, uh, from the eight to ten, because all things considered, based on how the lottery played out. Yeah, I do think that of all the guys, of, the, of those guys, Culver is the least likely to drop. I think you know it's conceivable to me that NBA teams would just decide that Hunter was so unsexy. <laughs> that they would not take him in the top seven, which is totally fine. And the Hawks should take him at eight if they don't. Um, I mean, Col- I, I, like to me, like I, I'd be surprised if Reddish doesn't end up in the top six, top five. Well, it's interesting this to me dude- because like you have to find, you know, just, just logistically um, somebody, you know, you have the, you have the top two, you have RJ Barrett, who I don't love, but he's going to go there, I think in the top three. Um, then you have this, group of, you know, two-way forward prospects of Culver, Hunter, Reddish, um, and maybe Little. That if you get if you include Little, you're now at seven. And then you throw in the two point guards, Garland and Kobe White. And that's nine. Um and that's again if that, that's if you include Little who not everyone is who not everyone has in that tier, but you know, that's nine guys who I think are pretty clearly the top nine that's just my opinion um but the hawks have the 10th pick <laughs> so it's yeah. interesting and in that you would be rooting for someone else to go up there whether it be seku or bull bull if someone falls in love or jackson hayes at number nine or something like that like i i think if i had to project that the nine guys that i just laid out are going to go in the top nine and that leaves the hawks in a less favorable position at 10 because they're taking the guy in the next tier but if something weird happens and you, it only takes one team to fall in love with someone off the radar, whether it be a big man or you know Kevin Porter, if he is somewhere I, I don't like, I don't like him very much, but he's a uh, a high ceiling guy with the ball in his hands. Um, there are other options, but that's how I am at least for now in late May. That'd be how I would lay out the top nine, and then after nine, it gets more muddy for me. But it's fluid. It's still a month to go. So, and by the way, we're gonna have Tyler back on and probably three or four weeks to talk about stuff again because it might change, but that's where I am right now. Yeah. I, I think that top nine probably is what it's going to be. Um, and like, I think we're both just projecting that Nas little when, when he gets into workouts, like he's just going to ride. Like there, there are mocks that still have him. Like the ESPN mocks currently doesn't even have him in the top, you know, in the lottery at the moment, but well, I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, I I, I do a little bit. Of that. I'm not super duper sourced in the way that those guys are, and that Sam Bassini would be. But I've heard enough stuff where people don't love him. I mean, there, it only takes one team, which is why I think he's going to go higher. But I think I mocked him when I did my my one my first one after the lottery. I had him in the mid in the mid teens too, and I don't it, that wasn't my big board. That was kind of what I hear and the way that some of this stuff positionally works out. I do think that he's going to go higher a, because of just the package of skills and the talent 
and B, just because I think of the workouts, he's sort of a workout guy. Same with Reddish. Those guys are going to look good in a workout. Um, but it wouldn't blow me away. It, and that's kind of why I set this up this way is that he's he's number nine and he's like he's like the pivot guy for me. If he if he has a bad process, if he has a bad pre, a pre draft process, that he's not going to be in the top nine. If he kills it. I think he will be. So he's the one that I'm the least convinced about actually going in the top nine. You know, Reddish, people talk about how bad he was all, all they want to, but there's enough buzz there, enough enough fire there and um, for, for the smoke to say that someone's going to take him in the top ten. I would be absolutely floored if he didn't go that high. Whereas with Little, if he fell, I would be less surprised. And the other guys are going to go in the top eight or nine. You know, even, even Culver and Hunter, who are the least sexy of this group, are going to go that high. They they just are based on what I based on what I've heard. Enough people li- like those guys in the top five or six that they're going to have a soft landing spot somewhere. Agreed. Um, you know, okay, we can brief. We're going to we're going to talk again in the future. So we don't we don't we don't we don't, we don't have to bel- uh, belabor that point. I do want to ask you about one specific guy we haven't talked about yet in the potential people that Hawks fans love, and then I want to ask you if you have any options for second round guys. But any moment, we'll come back and do that. Um. Until then, though, here's a quick break. We'll come back and recalibrate momentarily. All right, man, we're back. And uh, I teased this a second ago, but uh, I got to ask you about Bol Bol because Hawks fans are split, as everyone is, but uh, there is a segment of Hawks fan, and I saw a tweet um, a few minutes ago that speaks to Hawks fans very well and has sort of talked about Bol Bol. there's always a segment of people that fall in love with the guy like Bobo, who has incredible tools. He measured ridiculously. His offensive production was great in the limited sample at college. He's super talented. Um, he also has a lot of issues because he has, you know, because of his ridiculous length and the injury history, there's some risk there. And uh, this is me talking now. He was a terrible defensive player in college. Uh, people see the block numbers and they say, oh, he's got to be a great game-changing defender. I'm like, nope, he's actually awful. Um, he might improve, and he actually, he of course has the tools and the ridiculous wingspan and all that, but um, he's he's the definition of the high-ceiling, low-floor guy in this class for me. So, uh, And because of the Hawks, because of the fact that a lot of Hawks fans are asking about him regularly, I have to ask you. Um, so, <laughs> I when he excitement. was well, well, here's the thing. So when he first started out before the injury, I, even I was intrigued because uh, he was producing. Um, you know, I was I wasn't locked in to watch every game of his, and so I didn't notice that you know he was a trash fire on defense, which is what he was. Uh, but you know, he's an interesting talent. The problem with him for me is that he he's just not ever going to be physically strong um and i just don't see i i, I don't see how I, I just don't see it with him um especially on the hawks do the hawks really need bobo like i i, I don't no. <laughs> i don't see like i just don't see like if he were if he were bigger like if he had the same defensive problems but he was bigger like if he was 250 maybe but you know he weighed in at 208 and that's just like ugh, i don't know it's man. Uh, I, it's absolutely staggering i'm just for reference point here his measurements he measured at 72 and a half in shoes with a 77 wingspan and 208 
And now that is absolutely ridiculously skinny. Like for reference here, um, you know, Taco Fall, who isn't the thickest guy in the world, um, is seven seven. Granted, he's five inches taller, but he's two eighty nine. And Taco Fall is not known for his girth necessarily. Um, for other reference here, Bol Bol, um, from a weight standpoint, is the same weight as Cam Reddish. And Cam Reddish is very skinny um, and a small forward <laughs> who might flash with some power forward along the way. Darius, Darius Basley is the same weight as Bol Bol. Um, for instance, uh, Quentin Grimes weighs more than Bol Bol. Quentin Grimes is like a 6'4-ish combo guard prospect, <laughs> whereas Bol Bol is 7'2". So just some reference points there just tell you how it's almost comical how skinny he is. And again, the, the tools, and honestly, he's really skilled for someone that size and even just period. He's really skilled and obviously massive, and the shot blocking is going to be what it is because he's, he's, so, he's so big that he's going to be able to block shots regardless. But it's a worry. I mean, he's so skinny that he's going to need to add 30 pounds of functional weight probably to like not get blown off his spots by everyone in the NBA. Yeah. And then, I mean, if he, if the defensive instincts aren't there at his size, uh, and they're it, not it's just going to be, it's, <laughs> right it's going to be, it's going to be tough to find value in him as a basketball player. Um, and so he, he's just a pass for me. And, if you add all that plus the injury problems, like just his natural frame leads you to believe he's going to be an injury risk at all times. Like it's just the like he, I don't know. Like I, I'd, I'd look elsewhere. There are, and again, this goes back to our center discussion. I'm watching highlights. Nick Claxton from Georgia, uh, just had a pretty good uh, draft combine, and so. You know, you can get that. You can get somebody of Nick. You can get a Nick Claxton, so to speak, at thirty-five. If if you really want a big man who can shoot threes, just draft Nick Claxton. Like, like trade up in the first round if if he you know jumps up in in this process and becomes a first round draft pick. Just just draft somebody like that, you know, or or the uh, the kid from Florida State, you know, um, who was actually good. Uh, for Florida State, I'm, I can't pronounce his name, and I and I forget it. But uh, Kevin Gelly, I believe, is how you say it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's very he's an interesting prospect. Uh, yeah, you know, if if you want if you want a guy who can make threes and protect the rim, you know, you draft one of those guys. There's no reason to go for Bo Bowl at ten to me. Uh, I uh, we agree know. on that, by the way. Just just as a general thing, like when people ask me, I, I kind of always say, look. If they fell in love with him, I, I, I sort of get it because the upside is so tantalizing offensively um, that if they wanted to just go like lean in fully to we're going to try to be the best offense in the league and not care about anything else, which I would not recommend, but if they were going to try to do that, Bull might be super interesting. But I, I don't have him in my I don't have I don't have him as a lottery pick. That's that's just me, um, and that does not mean that he shouldn't go there or that he couldn't go there. It's conceivable, but the combination of Injury risk and the way the league is going and his defensive profile is not a combination that I particularly enjoy, uh, especially for the Hawks. I think even if I, I understand that the Hawks are in this rebuild and they have two t- and they have two top ten picks, so people are like, "All right, you can take one safer guy and then take a big swing on Bull Bull." I'm like, "Okay, that that does make sense," but Atlanta's roster is so geared towards offense right now that adding another offense only guy, basically, or at least offense first, if you want to be charitable. It's something that I don't really want to do if I'm the Hawks, if I have a choice. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd be a hard pass on Bobo in the lottery. Like, the only big I draft in the lottery is Jackson Hayes. Um, due to his size, length, athleticism, defensive upside, offensive potential. And if he can make threes, then you, you got a, you know, you got a King's Ransom there uh, with Jackson Hayes at 10. Like, I wouldn't be – I know we came across, like, that I'd be mad if the Hawks took 10. I'd only be – I wouldn't be mad if the Hawks no. took Jackson Hayes. I, I would just – you know, depending on how the lot, like how the first nine picks go, like if Jackson Hayes the best player at ten, period, um, then just take him. Uh, you know, and worry about worry about fate and all that good stuff. Other work, uh, that's worry about other stuff like fit and all that good stuff um, at another time. Uh, just due to the fact that he is super talented and he's kind of he's pretty safe for the Hawks. But Bobo, on the other hand. Like, there's just too much risk with him. It's too much unknown. He's not proven. Um, you know, he missed a lot. He missed the whole season due to a serious foot injury. And he's underweight. Like, there's no other way to say it. He weighs, he's under, he's 208 pounds at, at his frame. It's just not going to cut it at the NBA. So, I'd pass on him. And, uh, and if, again, there are other bigs who can make three pointers in this draft and who also can block shots. Um, if you want to draft somebody like that or just re-sign Dwayne Dedman, I doubt any big man in this draft is going to be as good as Dwayne Dedman during their rookie contract. So, Oh yeah. Like, you know, to me, it's like, what's the, there's no real need for the Hawks to draft a big. I can't stress that enough. The Hawks need to take as many flyers as, as they can on big wings um, like we've discussed at ad nauseum on here. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think we have made our point in terms of big men, but uh, if they drafted Hayes at 10, I would not criticize that pick. I understand it. I think he's a worthy pick in that range, so it would not be a problem. Um, you know, there's always guys that I'm going to prefer at different spots, but you know I would not blast them at all for that pick. In fact, same thing with Seku. Like I don't I don't love him, but if they if they saw what they wanted to see from him and they took him at number ten, I would not blast that pick either. He's an intriguing guy. He's a not really a pure center prospect. He's more of like a like a hybrid forward, but with great length. And he's a, he's really far away in my opinion. But they have the luxury to kind of wait, especially if they get somebody a little bit more established at number eight. So those two guys would be interesting in that range. I would criticize a bowl pick. I wouldn't, you know, blast them into another oblivion if they drafted bowl bowl. I would say that was not what I would do to be sure. And I would, I would say, I would treat that, I would treat that as a negative decision. But I wouldn't say it's like completely unreasonable because he does have so much ceiling. Um, you know, other than that, you know, maybe, maybe Goja becomes somebody in that range. People starting to love him a little bit. I do like him. I wouldn't take him at 10, um, at this point in time, but I have more, I have more film to watch on him. He's an interesting big man, but same thing, big man without any, any, uh, elite level traits is someone that I'm probably not taking in the top 10. So as a general rule, Brett, Brett, here, here's one for you. I'll throw you bone. I, I'll take Brandon Clark at 10, uh, before Bobo. Oh, um, uh, I mean, I know you're not super high on him, but I, I mean, I obviously agree because I, I know I'm higher on him than you are, but especially for the Hawks. I mean, they're very different prospects, but yeah, I, I think I I think I ended up mocking Clark to Atlanta. Um, I don't love that because I, I, I'm not sure that this front office is going to like Brandon Clark all that much. That's, I, I, that's not sourced from me. It's just a, a reading between the lines of what they've enjoyed in the past. But, and by the way, I, it hurt my soul to see him measure at 6'8 wingspan. Um, 
it's just not great for someone who I think is going to need to play some small ball five. That's not that's not ideal. But I do think that he's a much better basketball player than Bol Bol is. He's a lot older, too, obviously. That's one of the reasons why he's not going to go very high. It's it's a combination of weird size and very old. So I, I get being scared by Brandon Clark, trust me. Um, and again, I would, I would not criticize the Hawks if they, didn't, if they didn't take him. But if they took him at 10, I would not complain. I think he's just good at basketball. Agree. And I, I, I would be fine with Clark at 10 just based on how this draft goes. Like, if, if you know. Yeah, no, normal draft, like, for instance, last year's draft, which was probably better than normal, but Last year's draft, he's not going. He's not going tenth. He's not going no. probably in the lottery. Last year, like I, I try to make this comparison, it's not perfect, but you know, at number eight in last year's draft, you were going to get so much of a better player, probably. You know, I, I mean, aside from Kevin Knox, who I never liked and he was dreadful this year, um, basically everybody else up there. You know, Mo Bamba got hurt, and I never loved him either, but he was still a worthy pick. Like Mo Bamba probably goes fourth in this draft, and I didn't even like Mo Bamba very much. Um, maybe third even like people people were starting to fall in love with him but yeah it's uh guys like miles bridges mikhail bridges shea Gilders alexander those guys are all like very safe top six prospects in this class <laughs> and they went you know 10th 11th 13th 14th last year just for some reference um and that's not even revisionist like i would have said that at the time like it's just way it is so you know clark guys like clark and seku and you know bowl those guys would not be top 10 guys, uh, at least even in consideration last year. But they are this year because of where the uh, the tiers kind of break down and you get into some real weirdness. Um, last thing on the first round for now, anybody we haven't talked about that you would even consider at 10? Like people like Rui Achimura, I don't. Um, Kevin Porter is a I like, pass I like for me. Rui, I like Rui the person, but... Yeah, not, not at 10, I mean. Roster. He I mean, he, I, I think he's talented. But for what the Hawks need, no, they don't fit. really need. Yeah, he's just not. It just wouldn't work. So, anybody else we have talked about that you would even consider at ten? I mean, people like <sighs> Kevin Porter, but I, I, I do not. And everybody else, I'm trying to. I mean, I'm looking at some mocks right now to kind of remind me of who's even supposed to go in this range. PJ Washington. Uh, I'm, I'm out on Robio Lankford um, at ten at least. I would not, I would not do that. That's kind of it. Like I wouldn't. There's not anybody else that we haven't talked about that I would consider. Anybody else that you like enough to even think about? Well, I like, I like Kevin Porter before the season. Uh, he had He's a tumultuous time at USC, and so it, it, I guess with Porter, if they're comfortable with him, and you know he has a great interview, he kills it, and you know he owns up to his failures at USC. Like then, yeah, sure, take him at ten. If he's the if he's your guy and you fall in love with him, I, I've got no problem with the talent. Like I would draft talent. Like I would even I would even like you could even talk me into Rome, Romeo Langford. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't think it's just this disaster. Um, no, he, he, he just can't shoot. But back, if they saw, he'd be I a mean, pure backup. He'd be a pure backup because he can't shoot. But at the end of the day, he is like his measurables are really good. Uh, if know. the Hawks if, and, and the Hawks have sort of earned the, the benefit of the doubt on guys with shooting, if they think that they could fix his jump shot, which would be, I mean, if they for them to take him at ten, they'd have to believe they could fix his jump shot. And with their reputation, I think that they they probably get the benefit of the doubt there. Like he won't be an elite shooter, I can't imagine. But they'll if they see something in him, the way they saw something in Debman, the way they saw the way they saw something in Alex Lynn, or I mean, it's different. I mean. Kent Bazemore, a long time ago. Damari Carroll. It's, di- it's a different regime, but the same franchise has fixed a lot of guys' jump shots along the way. So I would be my interest would be peaked. I would not love that draft pick because I just don't think he's that. I don't think he's that much of a talent, but he's more talented than 
the bigs are that are in that range. So I get it. Yeah, agreed. Um, I guess one more guy. You know, we haven't talked about Kobe White. I know that there was some, uh, you know, there's been some scuttle about maybe the Hawks should draft another point guard. Um, I, you know, like Kobe White just due to the fact that he's bigger. He's a legit 6'5". Yeah. Uh, but I he, would, I, it would honestly depend because I do like Kobe White, the talent. Yeah. But, you know, he he's a, he, that's really high to draft a point guard backup. It's Langford can play multiple positions, but to me, Kobe White, yeah, he can play some too, but you really don't want to throw out a lineup of Trey Young and Kobe White. That's just like as bad as the Hawks defense was last year. It'd be a lot worse. <laughs> it would not be. With I those mean, two at the point of the attack. I've made I've made the point before that of the three point guards, White is the one that would make the most sense, and I do think he's a top ten talent in this class. Um, you know. If if in a situation where all of the forwards are gone, meaning uh, Culver, Hunter, Reddish, and Little, and you're sitting there at 10, and White's somehow still there, and you're deciding between White and one of the bigs, if it, if it took White, I, I would not support that decision, but I would understand it, um, simply because I think you can play him some off the ball, and I think you know maybe in this sort of six-man hybrid role, it might work. That's not what I would be. It's not what I would use a draft pick on. I think if you're using a top ten pick on Kobe White, you need to be doing it as a franchise point guard type, and that's not what the Hawks are going to be doing with that. So, just value wise, I understand best player available. I totally am for that in general. But when your franchise cornerstone right now is a point guard who can't play off the ball uh, in terms of defensively, he's like he's not like ver- versatile in that way. Trey is a point guard, point guard, point guard, point guard. His size, his defense, all that stuff. Kobe White. Is six five as you mentioned. He can play some with Trey, but defensively, that isn't like he's not a full time starter at the two. Like that's kind of what you need to believe to take him for me. The value is just not there at ten to take someone who can at best play twenty five minutes for you. Yeah, and it's it's the it. We've already saw this scenario play out with Jeff Teagan, Dennis Schroeder, where the Hawks drafted Dennis Schroeder. And the, I think the thought was that Dennis would eventually supplant him, but in the meantime, they'd play him together and line us with Dennis Schroeder and Jeff T together, which is disastrous because they couldn't defend anybody because both were too small. And, and, and both those guys are meaningfully, at least talent-wise, meaningfully better than Trey Young defensively back then. Exactly. When Dennis, yeah. when Dennis, when Dennis was trying, anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just wouldn't work. I, I totally get it. Like, talent-wise, listen, here's the thing. If If – for instance, Kobe White was the best player available at 10, you just open the phone lines and say, come get him to the rest of the league. Because in that, in that standpoint, if he's available at 10, for me, he'd be pretty much by far the best prospect available on the board. And if that happens, you just say, all right, I mean, open it up. And I understand that the Hawks don't want to move down necessarily because they have five picks, but get future picks, do whatever you want to do. It doesn't have to be a linear proposition. I th- there's some people that are saying they can't trade down. They already have too many picks. Like, nope, that's not that's not true. They could trade down, certainly, in this class. It doesn't mean that you want more picks this year necessarily. Uh, and they've and they they've, they've been on the record now that, that they, don't, they don't want to draft five, five rookies, but that, that does not mean that they can't trade down because they absolutely can. So if you get to 10 and there's not anybody that you love there, just move out. It's fine. Yeah, so that's probably what, if that scenario were to happen, that's probably what they were going to do. But 
Um, I doubt Kobe White will be there at 10 just due to the fact that the mo- there are multiple teams that desperately need point guards. And Kobe White, uh, just an aside, like he really turned it on for North Carolina. They, North Carolina became a legit title contending team because of his improvement throughout the season. And like he, he played himself into being a top 10 draft pick this year. And so, yeah, like, I, I had him and, as a mid to late first like in February, but he was, he was very good. He, 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 he turned me around to the point where he's a very reasonable top 10 pick in this class. Um, just not for the Hawks, basically for any, almost anyone else. I mean, maybe not Cleveland, I guess, uh, depending on how you feel about Sexton, who I don't love, but they've already invested in him so much that maybe you probably can't take Kobe white. Um, anybody else though. Yeah. He's a perfectly fine pick. Like, I think I prefer Garland, but that isn't a shot at White. I, I kind of just like Garland um, quite a bit. This is this is a non-Hawks discussion because those guys are not going to be coming to Atlanta. But um, yeah, Kobe White is not it's definitely not a shot at Kobe White. Kobe White is a top ten player in this class. He's just not a great fit in Atlanta, which is not his fault. Yeah, and uh, I mean these point, all three of those: John Morant, Darius Garland, and Kobe White. Like all three of them deserve to be in the top ten, uh, based on their talent and production. Uh, and they're going to go just, there. I mean, there's so many, and I mean, they're going to go to because there, there are just too many teams in the top ten that desperately need a point guard. Like they, I mean, I'm, lo- I'm looking now, like the only team that doesn't need a point guard uh, other than the Hawks, at on some level, um, is Cleveland, and that's yeah. and that's because I, I think we're all assuming Memphis is going to trade Mike Conley, so that's not a shot at Mike Conley, who's awesome. But um, aside from that, like the Knicks have nothing, um, they might they might they might get Kyrie, but they have nothing right now. The Lakers have nothing at point guard, and once you think Lonzo's still a point guard, which he might be, but whatever. The Lakers are gonna trade that pick anyway, so who cares? Um, yeah. The Cavs have Sexton. I could draft over him, but regardless, that's the one team that doesn't have one. Phoenix has nothing at point guard. Chicago has nothing at point guard. Like all these teams, I'm pretty confident that that uh, both Garland and White are gonna go in the top seven, just because yeah. there's so many options. Yeah, and even if, even if they don't like, I just don't like. It's good for the Hawks, by the way. You want them to go to the top seven? Yeah, this this (laughs) is why we talk about the the you know the draft the lottery kind of broke well for the Hawks ultimately because, um, the Suns can't can they can the Suns really take another project wing? I mean, gotta (sighs) like I know they can, but the the thing the bad thing for Phoenix point guard. Yeah, the the bad thing for Phoenix is that. I like Garland a lot. I think he's not a good fit there necessarily because he is definitely an on-ball, you know, offensive creator, shooter himself player, which when paired with Devin Booker is not the greatest thing in the world considering Garland has also has some defensive issues. But just just take Kobe White then. Like if you don't think he can play together, just <laughs> it, I can't imagine Phoenix not taking a point guard just because can you imagine the heat that they'll get? At six, if they end up with if both if both those guys are available and they just go, we will take Cam Reddish. It's like, oh man. Uh, now I could see them taking Culver just due to the fact Culver can run an offense. He's shown some capability of doing. If you it, yeah, so. if you go if you, basically if you go Culver, you're basically announcing Devin Booker's your point guard, and Which, that's oof. okay. I mean, I wouldn't do that necessarily, but um, yes, I mean, without making this into, into the Locked On Suns podcast, it's uh. Rough for them. <laughs> yeah, the Suns got some interesting choices to make. I don't, but the larger point is that you know these teams need. Memphis is guaranteed to draft a point guard, and you know the Bulls. The Bulls have probably already promised one of the two point guards that are available. 
Uh, so I guess it's going to come down to the sides. Yeah, there is so a is, uh, a growing faction that believe this is not reporting for me, but I have heard people believe that the Bulls promised Garland. Um, the Bulls have a rep- have a reputation for giving have promises. a reputation of doing this. So yeah. I wouldn't shock nobody. And so. I guess it's it's all, all this all, what the Hawks do at eight and ten is going to come down to really what happens with that fourth pick because we just don't know who's going to be t- drafting there. Yeah, they're um, good. I mean, the Lake it would surprise everyone if the Lakers made that pick and kept it like because between the combination of LeBron's prime window closing and the fact that they're trying to trade for Anthony Davis and whoever else adding a rookie to the Lakers does not make a lot of sense and everyone knows it which is me- the, the problem is everyone knows it so they're not gonna they, may not, they probably won't get full value but at the same time Somebody somewhere will fall in love with a prospect that's still available, whether it's Culver, whether it's Reddish, whether it's Garland, whoever. Um, and they're going to trade that pick. I mean, 95% confidence for me on that because LeBron is not going to be wanting to play with another rookie. And nope. they got to win, man, like right now because it's not going to work if they don't win. <laughs> and uh, with all respect to Jarrett Culver, who I love, and that's that's who I would take if you made me, made me choose someone at four. Um, he isn't going to help them win right now on a big level because none of these guys are. So there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've probably gone, uh, I don't know, too long before I let you go. Last, last thing. And I will cut you off. Last thing. Last, last last thing. thing. Give me one guy for the second round that you like right now for the Hawks. And we'll do, we'll we'll, we'll do more of this in three weeks, but let's just give me, give me one guy that you like for the Hawks at 35. I, I doubt he's going to be there, but, um, Matisse Tybel from Washington. That is I Jeff Siegel's like guy. Jeff loves him. Yeah, I just I love his defensive upside. Um, he'd be a, you know, he'd be a great prospect. He's I I don't think he's going to be at thirty five. Uh, I think I've talked about Cam Johnson. He's probably not going to be there at thirty. He's not going to be there. I love that though. He's but been... with the Hawks three, you know, three second round draft picks, the Hawks have ammunition to trade up and get somebody that they like. And so those are those are some. Two interesting dudes. Um, then there's, uh, you know, I, I talked about Nick Clax. Then he's a fun project guy to take late in the late, you know, in the mid second round. Um, or uh, and then there's the kid from Florida State who I forgot his name again, but you know he's another <laughs> interesting Jelly. guy. Yeah, and then uh, uh, the Arkansas kid who. It's getting late, and I'm forgetting all these dudes' names. Daniel Gafford. Early in the pro. Yeah, Gafford, Gafford. Yeah, yeah just, if they, if if they the didn't Hawks take really, a... If yeah. the Hawks really want a big man, and I know Hawks fans really want the Hawks to do that, sure, just take Gafford. Um, he, he'd be a good or, fit, actually, at 35 if he was still there. Um, yeah. Because he's actually a first-round talent, I think. So, uh, my guy, real quickly, I guess probably two. At 35, uh, Tybal would be great. Um, if he's not there, uh, I, I will say Chumo Kiki from Auburn. Another guy that I like, yeah, I like him yep. quite a bit. And my guy in the forties is Killian Tilly from Gonzaga, who I love. So, yeah, Tilly, he's got the you know, if he wasn't hurt, he'd probably be a first round you know talent. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so. All right, man. Well, we we've done plenty. I've cut you too long as always. Uh, please, uh, one more time, plug your podcast with Kevin Chenard. And uh, anyway, thank you for thank you for being here as always. No problem. Yeah, you can hear me uh, ramble on about. Uh, we rambled about the Raptors, the Raptors Buck series, uh, for quite a while, actually. 
uh, on ATL and 29, me and Kevin Shinar, we just went back and forth on that. Had a good discussion about Clint Capella as well. If you want to just hear some fun NBA theoretical stuff, um, check us out there at ATL and 29. We'll probably have some more Hawk century stuff later on when we get, you know, guys coming in for workouts and, you know, Kevin interviews the rookie prospects, uh, you know, potential rookie prospects for the Hawks and all that good jazz. But, uh, yeah, you can check me out there at 18 on 29. Then you can follow me on Twitter at Jonesy 2 X four. Follow this man, because if you don't follow him, you'll never, you'll never see his tweets. The locked account yeah. always gets me every time I go, I go to retweet you like once a day and it's, I can't do it, but I understand it's the hustle is what it is. Uh, thank you, Tyler. I appreciate it, man. We will do this again at least one more time before the draft. Um, as for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast. Check out ATL on 29 as well with Kevin and Tyler, and we'll see everybody next week.